is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 169. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton, and joining me today are a pair of my teammates, Mr. Trevor Everett, Mr. Michael DeRosa. He's about like genital herpes. He's just hanging around. What the you can't fuck? get rid of him. He's always going to be with you, but we love him. Fellas, what a by far the best weekend of college basketball we've had to date. And quite possibly might be the most stacked Saturday we'll see all year with all the different games of note going on. But before we get into all that, fellas, how are we doing on this Sunday? I don't know if I'm going to be able to gloss over the fact that you compared me to General Herpes <laughs> and then said, you got to love it, though. You got to love her. The hurt. Come on. It's always with you. So I'm going to have to recover from that one. Um, little shocked, but uh, happy to be here, I guess. Ah, look, I'm thrilled. I, look, I've been doing shows with you for almost a year now, and I like, I'm honestly happy to say I've never been uh, compared to that. So I'm, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Um, thank God. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we had to start this off right on super. I mean, the Packers just lost. I'm a little, little upset about that. But I'll tell you what, I'm not upset by is the fact that we're back doing shows. We skipped Thursday. It's kind of the weird part of the year with, you know. It's not been the best slate of games other than this last week and was phenomenal, which we're going to break down and talk about. I do want to let everybody know, too, we are live right now on the Facebook and on the Twitter. You can follow us, follow along with us at ECB Podcast 10 on the Twitter and then, or X, whatever you want to call it. And then on the Facebook group, just go to facebook.com, type in your search bar, Everything College Basketball, you'll find us there. And as always, this podcast was presented in part with the House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more information. Um, before we get into, I mean, we had two of the best three teams in the country play yesterday in Indianapolis. We had two Blue Bloods duke it out in one of the better games of the season in Atlanta, and so much more. But before we get into that, Trev, I know you wanted to lead us off with something here, so I'm going to let you take the floor. I tweeted this, and it should have gotten way more love, but I think this is the perfect place to do this because of the platform that we've been graciously given. And look, this person's a colleague of ours, if you want to call it that. We're all connected here in the college basketball world, but I have to give a huge shout-out to somebody that's been a huge inspiration in my career, we'll call it. Uh, Dick Vitale tweeted the other day that he is cancer-free, and look, I know that that's, you know, I, I'm not going to say the word in front of it, but I'm going to put it on the screen or in the chat, F cancer. But um, I do just want to share that that happened. He put that out there. He's obviously not going to be back on a broadcast for a little while because it was throat cancer, so recovering voice there. Did a cool little video. Um, the real reason I wanted to bring it up was two things. It's actually my favorite th uh, thing in my collection is my Dick Vitale signed and Dick Weiss signed book, Campus Chaos, that he wrote a long time ago, um, which is funny because it's actually about the negative things of college basketball, and this was like years before NIL, so I'd be love to go back and reread this. But uh Yes, yeah, big shout out to Dick Weiss for doing this book with Dick Vitale. Um, and then if you want to donate to cancer research, uh, v.org slash how-help or how-to-help to donate to children's cancer research for the V Foundation. That was yeah, all I had. I, I love that, actually. Um, and, and shout out Diggy V, obviously a legend. Whether you love him, hate him, as far as his commentary style nowadays, it's undeniable that he is a legend. And how cool was it too on this CBS broadcast yesterday on their pregame leading up to their triple header that the guys in the studio were shouting him out, which actually kind of brings up something too. We just got done with the NBA in season tournament and the semifinals being out in Vegas, those two games on what day of the week was that? Was that a Thursday or whenever it was? And yep. how cool was it that we got the one time only the TNT ESPN cross like platform cool. there yeah. 
Why can't college basketball do this? I've always thought that. I mean, at this stage in the game, would it hurt ESPN to loan Dick Vitale to CBS to do the NCAA tournament one time? I mean, come on. Let, let's do it. Like, put all the yeah. the money and the pride aside. Let's let's do what's best for the viewing public. And I think that would be really cool. I think that would be really cool. Hitting deep here because for years, I think you guys have all seen it. Gus Johnson has to be doing NCAA tournament games. I've been saying it for yep. so long. Yeah. Fox, send him over. It got it really. Bo- Anytime it's brought up, it bothers me because, like, come on, Fox. Give us one. Give us one, Fox. Give us one. Really? He has some of the greatest calls of all time when he was working for CBS doing the NCAA tournament. Sorrentine, hit that one from the parking lot. And Vermont <laughs> has a 59-55 lead. I love the raspiness. I love yeah. how raspy that is. G- Gus Johnson's probably one of my favorite announcers of all time. And it would be cool. I mean, Rafferty still does it. He works for Fox. He does Fox and CBS. So, hey, we got some shout-outs here in the room right now. We're following along with us. Sup, Sunbelt Sun Syndicate says, what's up, fellas? Leaving for a Canes game soon, but wanted to say what's up. We My appreciate guy. you. Hey, we appreciate all the support, for real. I know a lot of behind-the-scenes talking to Trevor and Phil, and we appreciate your support, my guy. Big East Barroom just joined. We got Supreme. I always mispronounce this name because it's kind of a funny name, but is it is a it cook a cock a cock or a cook a cook? A cook a cook. I got you there. A, a I cook a cook. That one. It's, it's funnier saying it a cock a cock, though, right? Agreed. It's about, it's about like uh, Kofi Coburn, but really it's Kofi Cockburn. Cockburn. Right? Yeah. As the youngest one here, I will choose this time to say I'm the most mature one and I will call people by your name. (laughs) Well, I mean, you got the haircut and I guess it it made you look younger, but made you more wise. I mean, I don't I've always been a wise man for my age. That's the thing. One of the wise men of the East, they call me. Well, I've been a wise ass my whole life, but (laughs) (laughs) enough of the playing around. We've got people in the room following along with this. Let's get down to the business at hand. We had number one playing number three yesterday in Indianapolis in a tremendous basketball game. Obviously, we we put out here recently, actually last episode you were with me, Michael, on episode 168. Me, you, and Chris did the tiers, the five tiers of college basketball through the first month. And both of these teams were in that tier one of national championship good. And we're talking about Arizona number one, Purdue number three, duking it out in Indianapolis. And it lived up to the hype in a game in which Purdue pulls it out uh, 92-84. Your guys' initial reaction to that, because both these teams were heavyweight battles. I don't think the first TV, if I remember right, the first TV timeout didn't get called officially until we were already under the 12-minute mark. I mean, these two went 100 miles an hour, defensive stops, turned in transition layups, hitting threes. It was a classic ball game, and I still think one team wins. Purdue's going to be the new number one team in the country. I think you have to give that back to them. And Arizona maybe should just go to number two. So I want to hear your guys' thoughts about that initial reaction. Look, I, I'll just be up front and eat crow because obviously I said some things in the last 30 days about Purdue that I'm obviously going to live down now because of the Arizona result. But um, this this just proved everything that we thought about Purdue where I know I mentioned the inconsistency of you know the guards, obviously, but it showed me that there are really few teams that can beat Purdue, at least in the grand scheme of things. I know that Northwestern did. Like You have to throw like in an NCAA tournament setting, 
I just don't understand how if they play Arizona again, obviously that's, you know, that would be months from now where Arizona has more time to repair, you know, maybe different health, you know, from both sides, both these teams were pretty much fully healthy. Um, again, I, even with Smith and, and lawyer having games like this, where they both scored 20 plus, I, I don't know. I, I would sit here and I tell you that Purdue probably isn't still the best team in the country. I'd be crazy to say that, but at the same time, I just, if everything happens just like it did today, which obviously in the NCAA tournament, you need that to happen five, six times. Like that's, it's, it's a hard for me to ask, but I do really, really think I loved what I saw from Purdue. Yeah. I think Purdue's a really good team. If you, I mean, I tweeted this, but if you're ever getting that much production out of both lawyer and Smith, they're going to win a lot of games. I don't know if there's really many teams that can yeah. beat them, uh, particularly like just any time they went down the floor, foster lawyer, I felt like hit so many big threes in the first half that just kind of gave uh, Purdue this lead and Arizona couldn't do enough to claw back. So I agree with you when you said I'd go Purdue one Arizona two. I still think Arizona is really good. Uh, the one worry that was exposed is how are they going to defend guards like this? I think we will we'll learn that when uh, they go against Alabama and then FAU next. So, if that's really uh, something that causes this team problems, we'll learn about it in the coming days. But, man, I still think these are two really good teams. I I thought – I mean, this was a really good basketball game. This was just really high level. Uh, everything about it, it was so much fun. And both teams moved the ball really well. Mm -hmm. I think that's a note. Arizona, 24 assists on 32 made buckets. For Purdue, 22 assists on 35 made buckets. Ball was moving. Just everything about this game was so much fun. Uh, this was very high-level game. Both teams showed that they are really freaking good. And – Purdue defended Indianapolis. Yeah, and uh, that, that's a good point. I, it was definitely high level. And I thought the first segment of the first half, so basically it was those first 10, 11, 12 minutes of the first half, you know it's a, it's almost impossible in the college game to defend Zach Eady, especially one-on-one -on -one in the post. And I thought Omar Ballo did a pretty good job because he's no slouch himself. He's seven foot 260, and he walled up. He played behind Eady. And he used some of that strength to make Edie catch it off the block more times than he probably wanted to. And I thought he did a good enough job neutralizing him for, for a while, but you can't stop this dude. Yeah. And which brings me to the point, the topic discussions going around the college basketball world again, is Zach Edie only good because he's seven foot four or is he actually good? Good. And I'll tell you, I lie on the stance that he's actually good. Does being seven foot four in the college game help him? It 100% helps him. But if you watch the dude's decision making, if you watch, he's not the greatest passer, but he had a career high five assists yesterday. He's got fairly soft paws, as Jimmy Dykes likes to say. And if you watch his footwork, especially from his freshman year till now, how shifty he is now around the rim for being seven foot four and 300 pounds, the kids can play. It's not only just because he's seven foot four. We've seen, I mean, Taco Fall was fun to watch at UCF. He was an inch taller than Zach Eady. Yeah. Connor Vanover is at Missouri, seven foot five. These guys aren't doing and did not do what Zach Eady is doing. So spare me the seven foot four bullshit as the only reason he's good. It helps him 100%, but the kid is very talented. Where do you guys lie on that? I'll just look, I'll be really quick, Michael, because. I had this written down and I didn't want to go on forever on, on the opening point about Purdue, but when you have the opportunity to be thrown at, and this will prove everything regardless of the seven foot four thing, do I think he has NBA talent? Yeah, that's, that's, you know, something I can talk about in, at a future time. But when you have the opportunity to go up against Ballo, Johnson and Crevis, 
all being thrown at you, right? Not necessarily the best front court in the world, but one of the best in the country, at least from a talent standpoint. And you equal 22 points, nine rebounds, five assists, two steals, and one block. And you have those three guys coming at you for 30. What did PD end up playing? Like 38 36. minutes or 30? 30, 36 minutes. Yeah. Those guys go at you for that long. I don't know how you can call that being good or not being good. Like the seven foot four thing, I think it's just dumb. And I agree with everything you said already. Yeah, it's dumb. Like, uh, it's just kind of a meme. I'll play along with a meme. Like, sure, he's good, but he's tall, but great hands. I mean, he catches just about everything. He keeps the ball high. He's just so talented. Like, uh, there's so much more to his game than just being tall. Like, I mean, what of the Purdue bigs we've seen them run through, Matt Harms. He's better than Matt yeah. Harms. He's better than, uh, was it Isaac I, Haas? Isaac Haas, yeah. Yeah, he's better than Isaac Haas. Isaac Haas was a very good player. See, he's twice the player he was. Like, it's it's this guy's the best Purdue big we've seen ever. And Purdue always has a tall big. Even crazier to think he's gotten better every year. That's yeah. something that keeps yep. getting overlooked. It's not like he was, you know, this this unbelievable seven foot four player as a freshman and as a sophomore. Like he's gotten better every year to put himself in a place where he's a national player of the year, probably twice. Let's just be upfront about it. I don't care about voter fatigue. He's probably gonna win it. Like okay, yeah, I'm, it's early. I get it. But like it he could win it twice. It is what it, it is. And you know what the other thing is impressive, too, is being that big, you can't play 36 minutes like he does on a nightly basis mm -hmm. most of the time. A lot of big guys, even seven-footers, how many seven-footers did we see in college basketball over the years play 25 minutes because of foul trouble or 30 minutes only because they're fatigued trying to run up and down the floor? It's not like Edie's the fastest player in the world, but you watch him sprint the floor. He's getting up and down. He's only sitting out for four minutes in this game in a top three matchup. So, again, spare me the stuff that well, he's only seven foot four is the reason he's good. Nah, get out of here. It helps, but it's not the only reason. Um, touching on Purdue, a couple other things. You got, or you guys already mentioned it. This was Fletcher Lawyer that we seen at the beginning of last year when Purdue was red hot and they beat up on Gonzaga and they beat up on Duke and they started out and they were number one and all that. And then he faded. And this was him. He did it against Tennessee and Maui, but he hasn't really shown it until yesterday. Finally, again, Fletcher Lawyer, 27 points, five of nine from three, and they were all timely threes. Every time that Arizona tried to spark a rally, he found himself open and buried a jump shot. Not only that, but he was attacking the cup, too, when they would give him the drive. If Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith play this good, they're not going to give you 26 and 27 every night. But if they can take care of the basketball, they only had five combined. If they take care of the basketball and especially lawyer hit the outside shot, Purdue can win a national championship, whether you want to agree with it or not, because you got the big man in the middle, you get your two guards playing well, and then throw in guys like Lance Jones, who's been really good coming in. Trey Kaufman, Wren and Mason Gillis are very much glue guys. If they get lawyer and Braden Smith is still going to be the key to Purdue success this year. If they can play good and steady, through the big games the rest of the way, Purdue can make not only a Final Four, but can cut the nets down for the first time ever. I think those two are still the key for how well Purdue does going forward in March. You're, I'm gonna, you're going to hear me say this a couple times today with a lot of the games that happened yesterday. Um, Arizona had two bench points, and Purdue had four bench points. And those are both big problems because if those guys didn't step up, this is a completely different game, despite Arizona's bench doing the same thing. And you'll hear me talk about that. Again, I'm going to have that written down for almost every team that we're going to talk about today being a big problem. like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought you had more. My nope. bad, Jerusalem. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. You guys, you guys hit it all. Well, I, before we 
move on from the Arizona Purdue game. I do. We got to give some love to Caleb Love. Twenty nine points. I think he has been phenomenal this year for Arizona. Like whatever we've seen the last year and a half from North Carolina, and he had these great games at North Carolina. But it's like he's went to Arizona, got a new lease on life, and he's been really good the majority of the time down in Tucson. 29 points off of, what, 9 of 19 shooting, four threes. Thought he's, I thought he was really freaking good yesterday. I mean, he's more free when he's playing the two. He's just more natural at the two. You've got, like, they, they relied on him and R.J. Davis to create a ton, and both of those guys are kind of natural twos, honestly. Uh, so much more free when you have a guy like Kylan Boswell and you got ball movers around the floor all around him. Like Pella Larson's an excellent passer. Omar Balo for a huge, as big as he is, not a bad passer. So they've got guys who move the ball and Love can be that guy. It's much more freeing for him. He doesn't have to create for everyone. He's able to He's able to do both, but like he, he's got more freedom to like settle down for a bit. I'm excited to see how he continues it. They, their next game is on the 20th, uh, the Hall of Fame series in Phoenix against Alabama, who's got obviously we know an incredible backcourt. So yeah. That'll be a fun one. I think that one, and we'll eventually get to that preview or whatever. That one might be the first one to 85 wins. <laughs> like, I don't, the way both teams can score the basketball. We're going to talk about Alabama here coming up, but let's move on down the road from Indianapolis and go down the road to Bloomington, where Assembly Hall looked vintage Assembly Hall yesterday because the number two ranked Kansas Jayhawks came to town for a big matchup. Obviously, they played the reverse fixture last year with Indiana going to Allen Fieldhouse. Kansas comes into Assembly Hall. The place is packed. It's rocking. It's jumping. Our guy, Corey Gardner, was in attendance, sending us pictures and videos. It was lively in Assembly Hall. Indiana came out and played the best game they've played all year and still lost the game 75-71. I said this about Kansas in the Facebook group, and I think it's true. Bill Self, since he's been at Kansas, especially the last decade or so, he does this better than any coach I think I've ever seen where they could not play great, but they keep it close and they find a way to win the ball game. I thought Indiana outplayed Kansas the majority of this game and just came up short. Kansas got the win though. What's it say to you about Kansas winning this game? And what does it say about the future of IU knowing that they can play at this level? They just got to do it every night. Michael. Indiana's a weird team to me. I don't really like them. That said, I think they matched up really well with Kansas. They've got the length, and Kansas is an awesome shooting team. And I think against a team like Indiana, they're able to pack it in defensively. And if you can't hit threes and they can't hit threes, it's push. That said, this is Indiana's best shooting night we've seen of them all season. They made six threes. They were six of 16 from three. This is their best shooting day. So I don't know how much you're getting that. And I don't know how many games you're getting 28 out of Trey Galloway. I don't know if not we're going to see that. Yeah, not many. Not many. Uh, he played an incredible game, like to his credit. He was incredible. He was the best player on the floor. I don't know how often we're going to say that about Trey Galloway. Uh, also, Indiana, 10 assists, 25 made buckets. Like a lot of ISO plays. Renew led them with four assists. They were able to match up well with Kansas. They've got the size. And if you're not a good shooting team, Indiana can play with you. They can. If you can hit outside shots and you have the length to mess with them inside, like Dickinson, for all what he does really well, he's not the quickest. And KJ Adams is pretty small. So, like, and he's not really a shooting threat. So, you can really kind of double down and clamp everything inside. I think this was a very good matchup spot for Indiana. I think Indiana kind of needed this game a little more than I think we're going to realize come, yep. like, come February, we're going to be looking at it like, man, if Indiana well, they- wins this game, they might be on the right side of the bubble. Um, yeah, they need they needed a marquee victory with the Big Ten being down outside of Purdue. They needed the marquee victory badly. 
badly. Um, I'm going to sound like a broken record on this show, at least, because, uh, look, I'll read you exactly what I had written down for Kansas. Obviously, the bench points thing I'll touch on in a second. Um, I wrote, I'm conflicted once again with this Kansas team. I don't care if I sound like I'm reading off a paragraph. Because on the one hand, being down as much as 13 points, and we talked about this with the Kentucky game. We've talked about this with other uh, struggles they've had. They down as much as 13 points. I don't care about the road environment. It's one of the hardest places to play in the college basketball world. But that this is still speaking to what the team can do. Um, but they can also, in the same 40-minute period, they can complete the comeback and win a game late because of the experience, because of the coaching like you touched on. So I'm, again, in the same exact place I was in before where when they were number one in the country, both by my standard and by the AP and every other poll that I'm a voter in, I still had these same questions. And then they go on the road and still find a way to win, and I somehow feel worse about them when Timberlake plays six minutes and gets zero points. Uh, McDowell had three points, uh, Furphy had one, and then Braun had two. So, like, I can't sit here and tell you that I think Kansas is even like, a, I mean, look, they can win five games and make the final four. I get that. Or win four games, and make the final four. But there's so many question marks that I think IU exploited. And then Michael made a really great point about the length. I wrote down about, you know, just thinking how Ware looked. Um, it showed that he can be dominant against this, even against a Dickinson where he had 11 points, 15 rebounds, two assists, two steals and a block. And it's really good signs for him, especially for his pro potential moving forward, for those that care about that, because that's not at all what we saw at Oregon. And I think that yeah. gives Indiana at least something they can rely on after this game and say, we feel really good about where it is. And again, talking about the resume thing, they needed this one worse. And I'm not sure that there's a quality, regardless of the quad system in January coming up. I don't think that there's a win on their schedule, minus maybe a Purdue that they can look at Ohio state maybe now, but that they can look at at the big 10 and go, that's the one we got to win because it'll help us on the bubble. I just don't know if that's there. I just don't. Yeah. I agree with all that. Um, there's a couple things I want to touch on, on the Indiana perspective, but before I do the Kansas end of things, Hunter Dickinson is going to be right there in the running with Zach Eady for national player of the year. Uh, you talked about it, 17 points, 14 rebounds, another very solid, good e or afternoon. But their MVP this season, to me, has been Kevin McCuller. He led him in scoring 21 points. What he does defensively where he can switch, defend the point guard, he can switch and play the wing. You don't want him getting matched up with the big guy and the five-man on the inside, but he will battle and do a good enough job to try to neutralize. He is a versatile defender. He's turned himself into a reliable three-point shooter, a guy that can attack the rim. To me, Kevin McCullers, Kansas's MVP. You take him off this team, and I think they're in some real trouble. Um, and also, I got to show some love to Dewan Harris. 12 points, five assists, three turnovers, two rebounds. It's not the points. It's never the points with him. He played all 40 minutes because he had to. It's what he does defensively. It's his leadership every single time that Kansas needed a bucket, whether that be in the first half when they're down third, or sorry, early second half when they're down 13, or shot clock's running out. You go under his screen. He doesn't normally pull them, but if he has to, he'll pull them and he makes them. If you get a, a Gabe Cup switch on him off of a pick and roll, he's going to attack him towards the rim. He doesn't score a lot of points, but when he needs to make the big bucket, he is so reliable right now with his scoring in clutch situations, plus his defensive, and he runs the show for Kansas. He is so important, so you got to give some love to him. But on the Indiana thing, McKenzie Mbako, best game of the year. 14 points, he started to break out and started to show that five-star label he had on him. Started to break out. If he can get going finally, it's only going to help Indiana. Um, you touched on Trey Galloway. 
he's just a kid that plays hard. There's going to be nights throughout the rest of the year, and we've seen it last year. There's going to be nights where he's going to have 15, 20 points, but there's going to be nights where he has two points. Clell Ware, Ware is the guy. Like him and Malik Renew are the two guys, especially with Xavier Johnson out, that have to carry Indiana. They have to. And I know it's reverse psychology of modern-day college basketball where you play from the perimeter to the inside. Indiana's got to win playing inside out. And the fact that Renew can step out and hit threes, he hit two of them this game. Khalil Ware has the ability to hit the three-point shot. He only tucked two. And a point I wanted to bring out is I was thinking this in the first half if my memory serves me. He took a three, missed it, and Woody got all over him. I mean, just got all over him. And he only took one more the rest of the game. That's a situation where an assistant coach or whoever tells him, hey, man, Next play, if you've got him, you got to shoot him because you've got to pull Dickinson away from the rim and open it up for everybody else. Something I think got in his head. Woody said something to him. I, I just I I want to see Ware take that more. If he especially against opposite bigs who are bigger than him, you got to pull him away from the rim. At least be a threat to shoot. That's what we said all the last four years with Trace Jackson Davis. At least be a threat. Make the defense play you on us. Um, Indiana, you- yeah. Hit six threes. Go ahead. You just got to be really careful because that's what got away from him at Oregon. It was one of the many things where Altman, you know, we know what he can and can't be developing bigs. But there's there was points last year where Ware was like, I can make this shot and I'm going to take this shot no matter what I feel like. And it can it can shoot you in the foot quite literally if they're not careful. But no, I, in this case against Dickinson, it's a completely fair point. And obviously they have, you know, he, he he'll have a matchup advantage 80% of the Big Ten schedule, which I think is just, you know, again, plays kind of to the opposite point of what the Big Ten is and why Zach Eady's been so good. By the way, you mentioned Dickinson earlier, a really good point you made about, like, how it's those two fighting each other. The odds back you up. I was just going to throw that out there because we haven't talked about gambling in a while. Um, Zach Eady minus 200, Dickinson plus 3,700, and then the it's a, I mean, just a cliff of a drop-off to, like, Filipowski and others in, like, the plus 2,600 range, so... Um, just giving you a fair point there on people might have pushback that it's not ED right now. Like consistently it is between those two and it, you know, the odds makers say the same. Where's Donovan clinging on that list? Uh, so it's Filipowski and this is an order of just going down from the top. Uh, Tyson Walker, uh, Filipowski, Tyson Walker, Kevin McCuller, by the way, another shocker there. Uh, Terrence Shannon, RJ Davis, Tyler Kolick, PJ Hall, Don- Dalton Connect, Ray J Dennis, Trey Alexander, Boogie Ellis, and then Donovan Klingon at plus 12,000. No, Tristan. Newton. I would put Newton over Klingon. Yeah, Newton's better than Klingon. Newton's done better for them than Klingon. But I mean, look, every, all these guys from 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 Ray J. Dennis down. So Dalton Connect is the last guy that's not plus 12,000. Plus 5,000. He's plus six. Yeah, so it's close. Yeah. And then, by the way, a funny one. Uh, there's actually a prop on FanDuel you can get. Zach Eady to win the Wooden Award, yes or no. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> just a straight up yes or no. If you don't think – if you think Dickinson's going to make a late push, uh, it's plus 155 right now for no. Just a little, yeah. like, fun bet it's, there. It's a little profit, depending on what you bet. Um, anyway, we're going to get to Connecticut. Uh, one last thing on Indiana – we talked about the need and a quality win. They're seven and three now. They've lost games to Connecticut, Auburn, Kansas. In a bubble, those aren't bad losses. Those are what you'd be considered a quad one loss. So they're not bad losses, but their best win to date right now, I guess, would be Michigan if you go off Ken Palm ratings. Michigan's still somehow 44th in Ken Palm. So that's still not a great win because we know what, what Michigan is kind of leveled out to be. Maryland's always got the potential to finally play up to it and bump that. But Indiana's schedule, let's go real quick. Moorhead State at home, Al- North Alabama at home, Kennesaw State at home. That ends the year. 
Then they begin January 3rd, back in Big Ten play at Nebraska, home against Ohio State, away to Rutgers, which has been a bugaboo team for them, home to Minnesota before they play at home on Tuesday, January 16th against Purdue. There are wins there for Indiana to have that would put them, let's say they lose Ohio State but win all the other ones, that would put them at what, like 13-4. and four. So they're in prime spot, but they got to start getting some of these marquee wins. And unfortunately, the Big Ten, I don't think, is going to help them too much. Um, let's go to Connecticut. We talked about it. This was on Friday night. This is one of the standalone games on Friday night. They went out to Seattle, Washington to play Gonzaga in their home state. And they it wasn't as bad as what they did to them in the Sweet 16 last year or the Elite Eight. It was Sweet 16, right? I just drew a blank. It was Sweet 16, right? They played them in the tournament. Second weekend, whatever it was. They went out to Seattle, Washington and handled Gonzaga 76-63. This wasn't even too much of a game outside like the first, what, seven, eight minutes. Once Connecticut really got their foothold in, they they took over. Klingon had 21 and eight rebounds in this game. Newton had a quiet night scoring. He had nine. Cam Spencer, 15. I'm going to say it again, and I probably will keep saying it the rest of the year. The way Connecticut is structured, they know their identity better than any other team in college basketball. They know how to play within themselves. They know what style they want to play. They know what their teammates are going to do. And for this reason alone, I think Connecticut could be our legitimate first chance to have a back-to-back national champion since Florida did it in 07 and 08, or 06 and 07. This Connecticut team is really good. And then on the Gonzaga side, I just, again, their scoring depth and depth period scares the hell out of me. I didn't think they were top 10 coming in this week. Don't think they're a top 10 team now. What's your guys' thoughts on both Connecticut and Gonzaga after Friday night? So for starters, I didn't rank Gonzaga this week. I don't think I'm going to rank Gonzaga for the rest of the season. I do not think they're a top 25 team. They have no depth and they're not a great shooting team. I think that really hurts them. Uh, When you look like Anton Watson's great. Grammy K's good big. I mean, you look at Ryan Nemhard, Nolan Nickman, that's a fine backcourt. There's no depth there, and there's no, like, one guy that, like, just stands out to me as, man, that's one of the best 25 players in the country, or one of the best. Like, that guy is a star on a top 10 team to me. None of those guys stick out like that. They're a fine team, but I don't know if I really love the way they're structured. But when you look at UConn, they're so good. Like, they're just good everywhere. Like, uh, they were running that lob play for Kling, and they attacked that mismatch all game long. Tristan Newton knows exactly what he's supposed to do on the court at all times. He's excellent. They're just good everywhere, man. Like, Cam Spencer, great role player. UConn is just, as you mentioned, they know their roles, like, probably as good as any team in the country. They're a smart team. They know exactly, like, what to do, when to do it. They don't force anything. They're a fine shooting team, 7-17 to from three. That's all they needed. They just, they know how to play with each other, man. This team is good. Uh, I want to see them, like, they haven't faced a real, to me, like a test that, like, to me, scares them. Like, scares me. Like, all right, man, this game scares me. Other than the Kansas game, and Newton played incredible in that game. But other than that, like, I don't think Texas and Gonzaga are top 30 teams. So, I want to see them, like, tested again. But this seems really good, man. Really, really good. Oh, they will be. We're going to, and I think oh, yeah. after the, I think after the, uh, yeah, in the close, we're talking about just Big East play it will be brought up, it looks like. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else to add on the UConn side of things. I will say from the, and I had to scroll down because I think we went out of the order. I, I, uh, all right. So look, the only thing I'll say about Gonzaga is if you're a Gonzaga fan and you under, and you're as honest as you have been, like, look, the two, the three of us have all made, you know, points about Gonzaga up and down this year. They're all in one way or another correct, right? And everything DeRosa just said is correct. 
I think, though, if you're trying to be positive, and I'll be the positive person here for a second, is if you're ever going to need a soul-searching midway through the year, I think Mark Fee is probably one of the five guys in the country I'd want to be doing that soul-searching and figuring something out. Um, and then the WCC is kind of bad this year. It's them, it's, it's them, now. Santa Clara. I'll talk about them in the shout-outs, uh, yeah. or I think in the other games considered. And then um, – St. Mary's even. I and mean, it's just bad. I mean, it is what it is. And this is a year for them to be bad. That's fine. Um, in a winner-take-all scenario in a March Madness tournament, I again, I, I would be hard. Depending on the matchup, I still would probably pick Gonzaga in a lot of cases because of that that just prowess of having Mark Few there. I don't know. Otherwise, I think this is a year they can try to figure it out. I'm not, again, I, again I'm still very negative on them as a long-term team based on what DeRosa said. I completely agree on a lot of that stuff there. Um, UConn's battle-tested even regardless of the Big East play. When think about it, Stefan Castle still trying to get back into the rhythm that the injury took him out of. He played 19 minutes off the bench, scoring-wise he had six points, uh, three assists. Once he gets back up to full speed, 100%, just imagine what that gives them the extra gear again, an elite change of pace guard that can be very good defensively. I just, I, Connecticut's a unit, and I think they're really going to have a chance to go back-to-back. Gonzaga, last thing with Gonzaga, and I'm not trying to be negative because it's going to come across that way. Let's put it this way. But I look at Nolan Hickman. He was a five-star kid coming out of high school a couple years ago. He originally committed to Kentucky, reclass or switched his pick, went to Gonzaga, which is fine. He's a junior. I don't think he's panned out the way it, probably he thought he would and the way pundits thought he might. And I'm not saying he's a bad player. You guys know what I'm talking about. But it's like in these big games, I mean, eight points is all right, but you expect the kid, especially as a junior, to do more and help out more. I just feel like Hickman goes long stretches of these big games almost like he's a ghost out there where you're like, oh, shit, I forgot Nolan Hickman was even on the floor. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. Well, one thing I want to point out to counter it is when you look at – here's another guy that was at Gonzaga that he, five-star, ends up transferring. Hunter Salas. He goes mm-hmm. from averaging four and a half points a game there to 17 <laughs> at Wake. I Sometimes it's just right situation. And there, I don't know if Hickman's getting used in the way he expected to. And I don't know if he's a natural two. I don't know if he's like really being kind of used as a spot-up guy. And I don't know if that's where he excels. I think he's much better in ball screen actions and stuff like that. So yeah. I feel like a, I don't want to say anything too more. But yeah, you're right. Uh, I feel like there is more they can get out of Hickman than they are. Josh, we literally talked about it. The last pod that I was on that DeRosa wasn't, I, I think someone, I told you, someone had asked me privately, what does Gonzaga need? And I go, Hunter Salas. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and like, and look, I've seen that kid up close five times this year. I've seen five weight games at some point, And he's incredible. I mean, he's doing everything in that offense that Steve Forbes is running that Gonzaga needs him to do right now. And it it's incredible that that's somebody that I just, I, I, I I'm surprised that the way Mark Few recruits, he wasn't able to sell him on the opportunity because ultimately it would be there. They'd have to run more three-guard sets, but it, he could have been there. Well, I think Gonzaga would probably work best with that like kind of ultra-athletic guard interchangeability where they can all attack, all drive, and then have like a big bruiser like Anton Watson can be inside or Graham E.K., and then have another versatile big, whether it been a um, – uh, Chet Holmgren or whoever. I think that's where Gonzaga runs best at. And they're missing those pieces. And I think it's going to be a struggle. We talked about this. We've talked, Trev, I know you and I, and I know me, Michael and me and you've talked about it. This might be one of those years Gonzaga loses like eight or nine games. 
by the way this looks, I think in conference play, they're going to get slipped up and get beat by a couple teams throughout the course of the year. It might be like a 7-8-9 loss Gonzaga team heading the NCAA tournament. Could be a six seed, seven seed as well. I like know. I mean, it just depends on how the WCC checks out, obviously. But they're let's go team, down. Go ahead. Gonna, they're a team I'm likely going to fade in March. I, I just they're not going to be tested a ton. I think this is a bad WCC. Other times people have said that like WCC has actually been good and they're just overreacting. This isn't a great WCC. You need like a Santa Clara to step up maybe, but uh, they're a team I'm looking to fade in March. And frankly. If St. Mary's continues at the trajectory they're on, which granted they started so low, so much lower than we all expected, but if they're excelling like this, they might. St. Mary's could beat them in the conference tournament, and that wouldn't stun me. In that conference this year, nothing would stun me. But look, sound like you had something. I was going to say, would they be out if that happens? Like, would they not make the tournament well, at large? That's I, a great point, right? I don't, I don't know. I just thought about it. I'm like, all the stuff we just talked about with the resume, uh-oh. <laughs> like, a, I don't know. That's actually a great point. If they have, let's say, eight losses and, what, one marquee win, and then they lose Ooh. and don't get the auto bid, that puts them at least firmly on the bubble. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah. – and they've Ooh. got a tournament streak. I think they've got the second active one right now. They've right? made the Sweet 16 the last five years, I think, is yeah. what the streak is. I mean, or something crazy like that. So, yeah. it's So, it, it's an interesting time out in Spokane right now for Gonzaga. But let's go down to Atlanta, Georgia, down to Catlanta, where we had two Blue Blood Premier <laughs> programs <laughs> battle it out. Now that's what they call it. I know. I, I, did, I didn't expect it. I, did, I yeah. just didn't expect it. Yeah. Well, Catlanta is pretty shit. oh man all right well kentucky wins you guys ruined my open there so kentucky beats north carolina 87 83 and it was a great ball game like it was a tremendous ball game it's the type of game when two top 15 top all-time programs do battle this is the kind of game you expect out of these two both fan bases were incredible. You could hear them over the broadcast, especially when you had to listen to the radio for half of it like I did because um, <laughs> of a power outage. But great ball game. Kentucky wins. All this talk from different pundits concerned about Kentucky's youth and one famous Tar Heel that I shall not name that I can't stand his opinions anytime because he just doesn't make sense said, well. Oh, his bro. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah. 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 That guy. Sorry, I thought I was um, muted. My fault, my fault. Yeah, no, no, that guy um, says, well, Kentucky's youth has got to get on beat. I'm like, have you not watched them this year? Kentucky's youth is the reason they're winning. But nonetheless, Kentucky's youth showed up and showed out against North Carolina. Your guys' thoughts before I talk about some of the finer points of that, that stood out to me in this game. Michael, did you have Malik Monk game flashbacks? Like, I feel like I was having slightly, like, just, it wasn't that caliber of, that game went into the 100. I mean, it was, they combined for 200 points in that game. Yeah. But I, I, I felt like I was just, like, and I was driving, or riding home, thank goodness I wasn't driving. I was riding home for the last three minutes of the game. So I had it in my fo- on my phone in the car, and I was like, oh, my God, this is like Malik Monk game, you know, flashbacks, whatever. Um, I'll be really short and sweet on the KU thing, because they've just, KU, excuse me, UK, I wrote it down the wrong way. Um, they continue to impress me consistently, and this is the time to continue to impress me because we're about to start conference play in what is arguably the best conference in college basketball. It look, they're legit. The only if I had to give you something negative, there, there's just some Reeves shot selection stuff that scares me. And if it's a close game and a close conference game, I could see how that could hurt. But honestly, things are happening perfectly right now where. All the stuff that we saw from the guards, even in the uh, the Kansas game, where they probably, again, looking back on it, probably could have and should have won that game. 
all the guard stuff is looking really good. I don't think it slows down. And you're getting all the bigs back that we've talked about for months mm-hmm. that they needed back, even without Big Z, who I'm, again, no disrespect to Zajunas Ogaskis for using that nickname, but, you know, I'm not pronouncing his name in the slightest. Um, on the UNC side, I'll spend more on, on it later if you want to, but, you know, they have the same problem I said in the ECB preview. I said they don't have a, and like I, in quotes I put, they don't have a, I don't know who is the go-to scorer in crunch time that is not six foot tall R.J. Davis problem. That's exactly right. the, in quotes, really long, dumb title. Uh, but R.J. Davis has been incredible, one of the two top two players in the ACC this year. Um, look, I, you know, I'm not, I'm in no way writing North Carolina off. I, I'm going to try my damnedest to go find a game this year somewhere in the triangle with them because I do want to see them in person. I think last year I learned more about, obviously, we know what happened to them at the end of the year. I watched the Miami game where it, Miami became a Final Four team from the, you know seeing some of that stuff in February. Um, I think they're better than I think they are. I just want to go see them in person. But, look, I, I'm not writing them off because I think they're really good still. Yeah, I like the way this UNC uh, team is constructed. I think they really need a lot out of Elliot Cadell. I think he just moves the ball so well and gets so many guys in spots. That said, the problem with that is your best player is six feet tall, as Trev mentioned. Look, if you got a small guard, Elliot Cadell is like 5'9", and then six foot next to him. It's going to be kind of hard to defend, and Kentucky's guards kind of expose that in a sense. And one thing that actually really impressed me about Kentucky in particular, their depth and their balance. Of the nine guys that played, eight of them scored at least seven points. Like mm-hmm. this, there wasn't one guy going off. Dillingham had a good game, but like he wasn't like setting the world on fire. Same with DJ Wagner. Now those guys really set the world on fire, but they just had depth. They had so many guys just do so many little things, and they were able to win a game. This Kentucky team feels more constructed to the way that they normally play more spacing more ball screens all that sort of stuff guard dominant teams this team would be killed if they keep trying to go too big it just won't work they need the spacing they need those guards get into the lane they need everything everything as much out as possible and to their credit i think one worry with kentucky even with their bigs being back is still none of those guys like set the world on fire like you would expect baycott to kind of control this matchup he did not i mean six turnovers from ronald baycott only nine points six boards in 31 minutes Credit to Kentucky's defense. Well, the Cats held their own. Uh, let's let's start there. Let's start with the winners. Um, they just continue to grow up. You know, they led for right around 37 minutes of this game. North Carolina tucked the lead for, I think, a total of 30. Where was it? They It shows right here. They led for like a minute, maybe. And then Kentucky immediately answered back on a 6-0 run late in the second half. That's what killed them against Kansas. When Kansas rallied back, tucked the lead, they kind of froze up, started taking some ill-timed shots. Kansas ended up winning. Well, you've already seen the growth in a month. Like, they've found ways to win these close ball games now and make the right plays. The guard play, DJ Wagner, Reed Shepard, Rob Dillingham, Reeves, these guys just have the ability to go make plays, especially Dillingham and Wagner. Wagner hit a tough go-ahead, like, flip layup for an and one that most people wouldn't make. And he was able to get there, go through contact, flip it up and make it and go to the foul line. Um, Trey Mitchell didn't have his best offensive game, but he hit timely shots when he needed to. He put uh, Jalen Withers in the spin cycle one time. Beautiful fake to the middle, spun back. I mean, just beautiful footwork. You got to give love to Adu Thierro and Uganda Kingsley Onyesu. Thierro has been a starter. Now they've got Bradshaw back, integrated him. He got his first start yesterday. So that means Thierro goes back to the bench, played fewer minutes. But he came in, seven points. He had four blocks. His athleticism is off the charts at six foot eight. Jumps out of the gym, 
And then Uganda Kingsley and Yesu, his first game back, apparently as the flu earlier in the week, flew separately, comes in three blocks, defensively solid, and it didn't screw up Kentucky's offensive spacing. The thing I will say, and Michael, you heard me on the last episode. I went on this tirade about Cal yep. and spacing. And, well, I want to pull it back just a little bit because I still have concerns he will screw this up. But yesterday, I got to give him credit. Even with the bigs in, when he played Bradshaw and Mitchell together, if one was posting, the other was clear out the lane. And Bradshaw hit 1-3 in this game yesterday in the first half. That's because it went five out. He was out on the wing playing basically like a three-man. And Dillingham found him wide open because uh, Baycott was underneath the rim and lost him. So Cal's showing and he's saying all the right things that he's going to keep the spacing and they're going to play the way they play. Because if they do, then again, I think Kentucky's ceiling is very, very high. Bradshaw, Michael, you and I text privately about this last night. There's not many seven foot one lottery or projected lottery picks that's diving on loose balls as much as Aaron Bradshaw is. His motor and the fact that he plays so hard is half the battle. And I think that's why he's going to be really special because you see prospects all the time. They're like, eh, maybe if it's the games online, I'll take a charge or dive on loose ball. Bradshaw's on the floor all the time in the two and a, or two, three games he's played. So once they get Justin Edwards, like really going, if he can get going, hit eight points, made a couple shots, but he's still not really got off yet. Like the other freshmen, if they can get him going, the cats are special man i think they are i think they're fun defensively i still have worries on the north carolina end of things rj davis was amazing in this game cormac ryan 20 points four of seven from three I've, he's not shot the three well until yesterday but he's a kid that i've talked about i really like his game they got to get him more opportunities for threes he came through for him but baycott nine points he did some work early got the bigs in foul trouble a little bit but it's like either he stopped demanding the ball or North Carolina just went completely away from him. Regardless, you have a fifth-year guy who is an All-American caliber. He's got to demand the ball, especially when the game gets tight. Trev, you watch the ACC far more than I do outside of the big games. What do you think is going on with Baycott right now? Do you think it's a deal where he's just not being demanding like a fifth-year All-American should? Or is it the R.J. Davis show now? Uh, I think they understand that they don't. They can win without Baycott being like that. I know they didn't in this game specifically, but look, at the end of the day, I've always been on the negative end of Baycott's career, and yet he still found a way to continue to shred apart ACC defenses for his entire life. So, look, I, I don't really know what – I think teams are figuring him out. I think he's a lot more simple of a player than I think people understand, and I've always said that, and I'm glad it's starting to see come to fruition. It's going to force North Carolina to win more, there's a specific set that really impressed me from North Carolina when they are winning games, and it was against uh, whoever they played before uh, Kentucky, But and it's slipping my mind right now. But they would post Ingram up. When they post Ingram up, it frees up Baycott to be available on the board. And when they post Baycott out, it takes it takes Ingram completely out of the play and forces him into the far corner. And they're starting to see that that's working more, and that worked in this game, even though he didn't have, you know, Ingram didn't have the greatest stat line, if I'm correct. I don't have it in front of me. Um, I had two quick things that came up there. Uh, talking about the Bradshaw point, look, I told you this many times, Josh, I've said it on this show, Michael, this will be re uh, new for you, but I went to the John Wall Classic where I actually met Phil, who's on this Ooh. show. I went to see DJ Wagner. I mean, when those guys were on the high school team together, that was the guy you were coming to see, obviously, right? People know that. And Phil and I both, that we had met that night for the first time, and you know, we got connected and stuff, and we both went, 
did we just come for Wagner and leave with Bradshaw being a potential top five pick in our minds? I've said this story many times. Like I left going, oh my God, Bradshaw's going to be incredible. And then, um, honestly, this is more for just like, I want to put it out there for the sake of what I've thought about some of these teams coming into the year. I think we did a very good job of previewing teams specifically in written form versus on podcasts because of the magazine, of course. But if you had told me coming into the year that Kentucky had a chance to win a national championship, I would have told you you were effing insane. And now, honestly, if I close my eyes and think hard enough, I could see it happening. So yeah. I think that just speaks every bit of to all the stuff to without even going any further. It speaks to all of the stuff you said is correct. And I think they've come a really long way and I'm, I'm impressed. Let's yeah, least, go ahead. Mike. Uh, I was, I was going to make a joke. So you go first. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say this wrapping up Kentucky. Look at these numbers real quick. 15th in offense, 45th in defense. They've actually jumped spots, so now they're a top 50 defense in America. Effective field goal percentage, 57.2, 14th in the nation. Turnover rate, it's went up a little bit. They were only averaging like eight. The last couple of games have bumped that up, but they're still third in the nation in taking care of the basketball. Only 12.5% of the offensive possessions end in a turnover. Three-point shooting, the big one we've all talked about, 40.8%, and that's actually came down from 43% fifth in the nation. They're 53rd in two-point percentage. The non-steal turnovers, they're fifth in the nation. So basically, they're they're young. They take care of the basketball. They shoot the hell out of the three. They're effective when they get to the, to the paint. This team, if the defensive end continues to come around, again, we're talking about a team that could be very special this season. Go ahead with your joke. I'm sure it's at my expense. Oh, no, it wasn't. Uh, I got two things. Well, one, if I'm being serious to talk about this game, uh, yeah, I think one, uh, Kentucky's defense is definitely the question, particularly uh, if some a team has like a really good wing. This Kentucky team is small, and then like the bigs, like Trey Mitchell's 6'9", but he's not the most athletic guy going. So if you got a dynamic wing, I feel like that's a place you can attack Kentucky. We'll see. Obviously, they'll get tested with that against Dalton Connect, and I think that game will be a ton of fun. But uh, I know you guys aren't watching football, but uh, I'm a Commanders fan. Our long snapper just rolled the ball back to our punter. So we had a turnover that way. Uh, we just wow. found a new way to turn the ball over just by rolling the ball back. So uh, I was laughing about that. I'm sorry if you guys heard the audio of me watching the video for the first time. Wow. Uh, we're so bad. <laughs> uh, dude, it happens. Like I said, Green Bay lost earlier in a game that I felt we should have won. So it's whatever. Um. We ain't got much time because then everybody started to get out of here tonight. So let's start rapid firing some of these other results. Houston played a, they started off, they kind of dominated Texas AM. And AM is a quality team, rallied back, had a chance to tie it up and wasn't able to. Houston beats Texas AM 70 to 66. Your guys' thoughts on that? No Tyrese Radford in this game for uh, AM. Wade Taylor was incredible. I mean, he was absolutely incredible. He, I think he had over half of the Texas A&M's uh, points in this one. Yep. He's excellent. At the same time, there are definitely some worries with Houston. I still don't think Houston's bulletproof. Like, particularly in the late game, I don't know if you guys were watching, they had a sideline inbounds, and I believe it was done, just walked on the sideline to try to inbound the ball. Yeah. I think you can't do that. Like, there's some mistakes that this team, like, you just can't make. Uh, this is the first time I feel like Houston's really been tested this season. Like they're going to bully teams that are just much worse than them. And don't bring up the Xavier game because uh, Xavier got a lot of calls in that one, and Xavier still couldn't win. Like there was that game was so ugly. There was no flow to it whatsoever. I'm not going to call that a test for either team. That was just poor officiating. But uh, man, this one, I I still think there are some worries with Houston, and I think this is a good showing for AM. I think this is stock up performance, honestly. 
Uh, no Tyrese Radford against a tough team with a very good backcourt, and they still are competitive in this one. They could have lost this game many times, and they did early on, and they came back. They battled their way back. So I don't know if we're thinking A&M as best team in the SEC or anything like that, but I think they're a good team. Yeah, look, I'll be quick because, Josh, I've talked to you about Houston many times on this podcast and otherwise. Um, I'll completely disagree with everything Michael said. I know this was a test for them, and obviously I know that AM was missing folks at Wade Taylor. Incredible game there. He kept them in the entire way, but I've said it on this spot many times. If someone handed me $100 and said, go to Vegas, put $100 on someone to win the national championship, I would put it on Houston right now. Um, the combination of speed, strength, shot-making, defense, and good coaching all showed in this game. Not that Buzz Williams isn't a good coach in that sense, but – they proved it uh, time and time again, and this is going to continue to, and this is only going to help them be better as Big 12 play starts because I don't I, look. They might not lose a game in the Big 12 until February. They're better than Kansas. They're I think after the first month, they're the best team in the Big 12. LJ Cryer, we've talked about it off air. I, I've posted about it. Him coming in from Baylor has gave them an offensive punch when they absolutely need scoring. Plus, he can get microwave hot. He has completely. I wouldn't say change the dynamics because Houston is who they've been under uh, Kelvin Sampson, but he gives them an extra gear. Terrence Arsenault is out for the year, though, towards Achilles in yesterday's game. So, look, if I'm being honest, he what he hasn't been like, and I know this that's really bad for his development because every, when I talked to Coach Sampson in Charleston, you know, he made a really great point of just about how how important their development is because outside of Cryer, all the guys on this roster are guys that he either recruited out of high school or obviously if he did, he got him in and they worked their way up in the program. And Arsenault is another example of that. But he, he continued time and time again to show how timid he was, which is why even in that, Coach Samson was trusting him. And I don't even feel like he was fully trusting him. So I don't think it is going to hurt them. But like his shooting off the bench is obviously going to be really, really good for them if he's there and he's not. Yeah, I I just think more so depth. Um, yeah. it, it sucks to lose a guy that at least has that kind of potential. Um, let, let's again, let's move on. Uh, Michigan State back from the dead. They ain't quite dead yet. In Detroit, it's, they said it's a neutral game, but it was a home game for Michigan State. And they throttled Baylor 88-64. I mean, this was not a contest. It was TKO after the first round. They absolutely put a whooping on previous undefeated Baylor. Uh, your guys' just quick thoughts on that game. I, I'm just – I don't have anything because I watched it for uh, 12 minutes and was like, I don't understand what's happening to Baylor here, and I turned it off. So, look, the I, I think I'm just more shocked that Baylor took this kind of punch when I feel like they are a lot better than I – you know, I think a lot of people were kind of questioning w- whether Baylor might be ranked a little bit too highly – Maybe this shows that um, Michigan State still got some life, even if it is by the the you know the the bit of a tiny little pulse in the neck area. Uh, but look, I, I'm just surprised Baylor took the beating that they did. Yeah, uh, just keeping it quick. Uh, Michigan State needed this game. This was a letdown spot for Baylor. Baylor let down. It just kind of made sense to me in that sense. So uh, I definitely want to watch it back. I was I when I was like getting ready to turn this game on. I don't remember if it was like during another game I was watching. Uh, but by the point, like I checked my phone, it's like, it's 43, 17. It's like, all right, well, uh, I didn't see it just to me. It's like a typical spot game. Uh, Baylor had 21 turnovers. That's alarming. I don't think Baylor turns the ball over that much usually, but I think that could have been partially Michigan state's defense. Michigan state needed this one. They needed this one bad and they got it. So that can put them back. Three more. I want to touch on real quick. And uh, I just want to get your guys' thoughts on just real quick. Number 11, Creighton 85, Alabama 82, another very good game. 
Um, Memphis takes down Clemson 79-77, Clemson's first loss of the year. And then, Trev, I know it's near and dear to your heart. Unfortunately, Tennessee does beat North Carolina State 79-70. Anything from those three games stand out? Um, I, I have a thought on Memphis, but I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Anything of those three stand out? Uh, yeah, and you're probably going to be kind of surprised. I know all the stuff I said about Creighton being, I think I said at one point in the last 30 days that it's their Big East to win, but just because you can win the Big East and be the best team in that conference, even though it is one of the best conferences in the country, I still don't know if they're a Final Four team, even well, despite this victory. And look, Alabama as constructed, I applaud Nate Oates for putting this kind of schedule together. They've played one of the hardest schedules in the country. I'd love to see the strength of schedule number on that once it all calculates properly. Um, look, they've played some tough, tough teams, including Creighton, and they've held together for most of them in the Clemson games. Another one, another team you just mentioned. But, I mean, yeah, they're not going to win shooting 18.2% from three. It's just not going to happen, no. at least the way they're constructed right now. Um, I think I'm just more so surprised. The Clemson game, I, you know, look, I, I know your text almost. I think you were the one. No, no, I had another group chat full of Carolina fans, and they were like, is Clemson going to not lose a game until, like, February? And I was like, guys, this game's not even over yet, and Memphis can win this, and they did. Um, I was impressed by both in this, and I really don't have a bad thing to say about either team in that result. And then I'm not commenting on the NC State-Tennessee game. <laughs> so, fair point. Yeah, with Creighton, uh they're not the best team in the Big East. I think we can start there. I think uh, when I UConn, said it, they were. By the way, when they at the yeah, time, yeah. that was when Marquette. I think had just lost for the first time, and I still felt like at the time Creighton had a chance to. It's theirs to lose, yeah. kind of thing. Uh, and I now think it's Marquette. To be fair, yeah. <laughs> uh, Creighton in this game. One thing that I I've been harping on about Creighton, and I'm going to harp on again. Their scheduling was woeful. They had one big game before this game against Colorado State, and they got dog walked. I mean, their best win is yeah. home to Iowa. Iowa's not good. <laughs> At Oklahoma that's State, that's a really bad team. They didn't schedule anyone, so yeah. they needed this. And one. they got beat by UNLV just the other yeah. night. Bad loss. And they don't have, like, this Alabama win, Q1, Q2, would be on the fringe of that, I, I think. They're about around there in the net, yeah. just to it's me, close. at the end of the season. Though it'll be close to that. They need this one bad. And when Ryan Kalkbrenner was hobbling for a bit, they need him. Bad. If they don't have him, it completely changes how this team plays because it'll, their defense is really funneling everything to the middle and just having Kalkbrenner just, just he's kind of like, man, this is greasy, but this is me growing up. You remember Roy Hibbert? Oh, of like, course. So yeah. good at walling up. Okay. Yeah. yeah of so good at walling up. Kalkbrenner's budget Roy Hibbert. He's not as good as Roy Hibbert. Like, Roy Hibbert's my boy. Don't well, get no, no offense to Frederick King, but there's a big drop off when Kalkbrenner goes out and King has to replace him. There's a huge drop off there. I don't even think King is bad. But he's not fit to defend the way they defend with Kalkbrenner. He doesn't have the guy, length. Like yeah, he doesn't have the, the length. Rim. He doesn't wall up the same. But you can't funnel everything into Fred King as you can with Ryan Kalkbrenner. Ryan Kalkbrenner is an excellent defender. Fred King, not really. So it kind of changes the way that this team has to defend. You can't just give everything up inside. You can't run that drop coverage and really try to give up every outside shot. You have to defend completely differently with Fred King, and it completely changes the identity of this team. So they need Kalkbrenner to hundred percent, and that's also. Trey Alexander played an excellent game. Alabama gave him that mid-range shot every time. He took it. He hit it just about every time. So credit to him. Consistently. Yeah. No, they can't. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's really all I've got on that game. Uh, Creighton stocked down for me. Probably the most stocked down of any Big East team. Uh, aside from yeah. St. John's. St. John's looks like shit. Uh, but Creighton, like there's, uh, yeah, I'm not impressed with, not as impressed with this team as I expect to be. And that Villanova game they have coming up, I think, 
will tell us a lot about both of those teams. Both those teams need momentum and they need it bad. Yeah, well, I tell you who's got momentum back, and that's Memphis. I, I just got to give Penny a lot of credit because th- they're on this stretch now. When whatever again, whatever you think of Michigan and Arkansas, they've played in the last their their last what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. They've played Michigan, Arkansas, Villanova, Mississippi, VCU, Texas A&M, and Clemson. With the latter three being three wins in a row, that's a pretty tough schedule. And they've still got Virginia coming up on Tuesday night. They're eight and two. They should be back inside not only the AP, but the ECB top 25, I would imagine this week. If not, they're right on the outside looking in. And this was a great win. Clemson, we've talked about it. Very good team. Very good. And they were able to fight their way back. They've got pieces and they just got uh, um, Naquan Tomlin transferring in that we talked about in the last episode, DeRosa. So they've got added depth to start January with. Memphis could not only. They're going to be a tournament team, but not only that, they could be one of those teams that get a top four speed and could really cause some problems with their defense and athleticism. David Jones is a go-to scorer when they need a bucket. So I'm high on Memphis still, even despite those two losses in a row. They've rebounded nicely. I think Penny's got his best team by far since he's been head coach there, by far. So good win for Memphis there. They remind me of not on the same caliber, of course, and Dayton fans are going to hate me. They remind me of 2020 Dayton a little bit, like just from a mid-major that could just like dominate teams in every facet of the ball uh, on the ball. And like, it's, it's been really good. I have a couple of really quick ones. I'm again, no comments on these for me, but just ones that caught my eye that weren't the big ones. We just spent an hour talking about um, Santa Clara. Phil made a really great point in the magazine about them, uh, how they're going to be really good. We talked about them earlier. They're eight and they beat an eight and two Washington state team, 69, 61 uh, Adama ball was a beast. Ohio state beat UCLA. That was a really big result that will matter. Once Pac-12, obviously the Pac-12 honestly might get two teams in at this rate. <laughs> I saw a couple of bracketologists tweeting about that. Utah State's 11-1 and after beating Sam Fran by one. Ab State, shout out to Ab State. They're 9-2, and two, and the Sun Belt getting two teams in is alive still. The problem is the top of the Sun Belt is really good with Ab State and JMU, who's still undefeated. The bottom of the Sun Belt, shout out to Sun Belt Syndicate, is very bad. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, last two things, Arkansas escaped and I mean escape Lipscomb. Yes, escape Lipscomb 69-66. And then St. Joseph's have to give them a shout-out. They are they are a tough team in the A-10 and have a really strong chance of, of winning. As a Kentucky team. fan, I know St. Joe's very well. The, the way they shoot the ball. <laughs> so does most of the throughout. Northeast this year, yeah. too. Yeah. Very tough. So what we're going to do now, we've got a few things on the back end of this, and we're going to start wrapping this thing up. We're going to hear a word from our sponsors when we come back. We're going to talk some of the games coming up in the early week. Do some shout-outs and more. You're listening to episode 169 of the Everything College Basketball Podcast. We'll be right back in just a minute. College basketball fans, I've got a question for you. Are you looking to score big with your basketball bets and analysis? Well, ShotQualityBets.com is your go-to source for data, picks, and predictions that are a cut above the rest. With their state-of-the-art computer vision and AI, they analyze the game like no one else providing you with unique data that's crucial for making informed decisions. Shot Quality Bets takes the hard work out of betting by matching their highly accurate predictions with the current betting lines, making it a breeze for you to place winning wagers. And the best part? You can start this winning streak right now with the Everything College Basketball exclusive code of ECB for 10% off your first month. Simply visit ShotQualityBets.com backslash welcome to sign up and jump into the action it's that easy shotqualitybets.com where data drives your analysis to the next level 
What's going on, Everything College Basketball listeners? It is Conrad Cushman here from Everything Pro Wrestling. Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans, where we talk pro wrestling every single week. Our current schedule is Mondays live at 6.05. We have Clash of the Podcast where myself and my co-host, Sean Hubbard of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, go live to talk all the latest and greatest in pro wrestling. On Wednesdays, we are live after AEW Dynamite, a little after 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Everything Pro Wrestling YouTube channel as well. Make sure you guys come on over if you guys are fans of All Elite Wrestling and we do cover some of the pay-per-views that happen over the weekends keep your eyes peeled for when we have those available as well thank you guys so much for listening to us talk about our schedule let's get back to my good friends over at everything college basketball huge shout out to conrad cushman the team over everything pro wrestling i say it all the time but it's a fun time to be a wrestling fan again so go check his workout if you love professional wrestling and also shout out to ecb's title partnership this year over at shotqualitybets.com use the promo code ecb to get 10 percent off your first month incredible data and analytics everything you need not only for gambling but if you're stat nerds like us it breaks down the best shot quality teams Everything that you could possibly want for not only college, but the NBA and WNBA. So go check that out. Um, fellas, as we start to wind things down here, let's talk about it's not the greatest slate of games early week. But there are a couple that are very intriguing. I want to get your thoughts on real quick. Let's start the fact that Big East play is officially opening up this week. You mentioned it, so we'll go to it. Villanova Creighton, early part of this week, DeRosa, this is your or your territory how are you feeling? Who do you think wins this game? Talk to me about it. This is a weird one. Uh, I need to know Kalkbrenner's status. I think that matters a ton in this one. That said, Villanova does a very good job at spacing Kalkbrenner out because Dixon can hit shots. So they're going to run a ton of five outs, and I think that messes with them. At the same time, Greg McDermott versus Kyle Neptune. That's, I feel like at this point we have to just acknowledge it. That's a definitive gap. There is a definitive gap in coaching between those two. But like when I look at the talent of the roster – Justin Moore, Eric Dixon, Tyler Burton, that took hope. TJ Bamba, I tend to lean the Villanova side. So uh, I'm probably going to lean Villanova, honestly, not very confidently. Uh, but if I get like decent dog odds in Villanova, I'm probably going to bite. I think Villanova wins this game. I I just think their roster is really talented. And Villanova's look good against really talented teams. The only teams that have beaten them up are teams that run 2-3 zone against them. And Creighton's not going to run a zone. And even if Creighton did run a zone, I feel like you can expose it because Ashworth, Shireman, and Trout, Great defenders. Miller's actually shown he's a decent defender. Alexander's a good defender, but I feel like Villanova's got the pieces to kind of expose this team. I think it's a tough matchup for Creighton, particularly if Kalkbrenner's not 100%. We got a good Stephen Ashworth game last time out. They need that from him, but if I got Justin Moore running the point against Stephen Ashworth, that size advantage, he's just going to be able to back him down, rise up, or you double down, ball, swing, 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 corner three, wide open, split splash, double bath. So I lean Nova, not too confidently. Uh, We'll see how this one plays out. It's going to be a fun game. I agree. There's on the a couple. I agree. I was just saying, I agree on the Nova pick. And then, uh, honestly, St. John's needs that Xavier game at home really bad on Wednesday night. So Xavier needs it, too. Yeah, and look, it, it's going to be a dogfight. It'll be one of those ones where, talking about the scouting report comments that Patino's made a bunch this year, like, they're going to have to defend because Xavier's getting getting right at the right time, and that game's going to be really good. Yeah, there's a couple things on this Villanova-Creighton thing that I think revolve around the defensive end. Both teams are top 40 defense, but there's a couple things that stand out. 
Creighton's defending the three very well. Teams are only shooting 28.6%. Villanova offensively is only shooting 32% from three. So Villanova is going to have to find ways to get off from behind the line. And then you look at turnovers. Villanova takes care of the basketball right now. They're 44th in the nation. We talked about Kentucky being one of the best teams in the country. Villanova is not too far behind them. They're only turning over 15% of the time on the offensive end. Creighton on the defensive end, they're one of the worst teams in the country at forcing turnovers, only 10.5% on the defensive end, that 362nd in the nation. So they do not get turnovers or at least force them, especially steals, it's even lower, 4.5% of their turnovers are steals, again, 362nd in the nation. So if Villanova takes care of the basketball and can find ways to get off from the three-point line, I think Villanova wins this game. With that being said, I think Creighton's the better team. If Colt Brenner plays, I don't know how Villanova matches up with him. I think he could have a big game. And maybe this last game against Alabama gets Stephen Ashworth to, to play like he did at Utah State. So I'm going Creighton. Enpom favors Creighton by six. I think that's about right. I'll take Creighton. But again, if Villanova could take care of the basketball and hit some threes, Villanova wins this game. Um, I, I'm really surprised Creighton doesn't turn teams over. I, I some reason with all that length, like Baylor Shireman, six, seven and long, like you would think they would turn teams over more than what they do, but they're not very good at it. Not very good yeah. at it at all. Creighton doesn't turn teams over, but they don't foul. That's one thing they do well. And I actually f- thought this game was in Villanova. I thought this was a Nova home game that will switch my pick. I'm going to take Creighton in the end. I same analysis stays the same. Just, I think these teams split home and home. So, uh, but yeah, I thought this was a Nova home game when you said six. I'm like, there's no way Villanova six point dog at home. So, thank you for correcting me, Josh. <laughs> I got you, bro. Uh, I still let's go Villanova, to- so I'm glad you made that clarity point too, because I I still would lean there. But yeah, it's still right. Yeah, uh, I still think Nova has just got to hit three, though. They, yeah. They've got to find a way to probably hit eight or nine of them. Let's go to a neutral site. It's well, semi home. It's going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina. The Jordan, what are they calling this? The Jordan brand Jump games? Man Invitational. And you had, the, you had the game written down we're about to talk about. And there's one more on Tuesday that I want to talk about really quick, too. Yeah, the Jump Man Invitational in Charlotte, North Carolina. Again, kind of like Michigan State and Detroit. This is right in North Carolina's backyard. So they're going to overwhelm Oklahoma. But God dang, this Oklahoma team's fun. They're in our top 10. They're going to move up this week. They are extremely good extremely talented defensively. Do you think North Carolina drops three in a row? They've lost to Connecticut and they've lost to Kentucky. Neither one's a bad loss. They've given up 87 in both of those games. Do you think Oklahoma can stifle North Carolina's offensive output enough to win this game basically as a true road game, as close as you'll get to it without being in Chapel Hill? I am not prepared to comment on this game a ton because I want to sit down and kind of really look at it. But I, I right now would lean North Carolina just because of the style of play that they're able to play in right now that could help them win this game. I know Oklahoma, I've watched less than I should have for them being the 11th team in the country, according to the AP. Um, but I'm also excited to really watch this Oklahoma team because I've heard that they're very, very good and I want to uh, get that one right. I would not be shocked if Oklahoma win this wins this despite the – 90% attendance for the Tar Heel fans because for those that don't yeah. know, it's about an hour and 45 minutes yeah. from Charlotte. It's really not that far. Um, an hour and 45 minutes, maybe two hours, uh, depending on traffic. But um, yeah, fun fact about the Jumpman Invitational, this was uh, actually created 
you know, when Jordan was the owner of the Hornets and he's no longer. So I don't know if this will continue. <laughs> this was a signed event, like a, a thing they put together, uh, you know, as part of Jordan being the owner, of course. And I don't, I don't know if this event continues. Um, also, Florida, Michigan on Tuesday was the game I was going to mention. Two teams that kind of need this one kind of bad. Uh, I think Florida wins, obviously. I think like, like DeRosa just said, but it's also going to be a really fun game to watch as well. Yeah, Florida's much better with Zion Poland. They needed him back. I think if he plays, I think they beat UVA, and I, I, I tend to think they might be the better team than UVA. Uh, but in terms of this game, I want to watch Oklahoma a little more. As Trev mentioned, I saw them just absolutely suffocate Providence, and then they went out and beat Arkansas in a game that they have, they looked like they looked as advertised. I want to see them in this game. This is the best guard tandem they've gone up against. I definitely lean North Carolina in this spot. I think North Carolina gets the win. I think this is just a tough matchup. This is the toughest game. Oklahoma's faced all season, and I think you, uh, you, uh, UNC just has the guards to kind of make a difference here. And I think if you can get a Cormac Ryan going, or I don't know if they have a great matchup for a Harrison Ingram, so I def I lean UNC in this one. I'm going opposite. I'm going Oklahoma because that defense is the real deal. And the one way to beat North Carolina is to make them play in the half court. And Oklahoma is going to make you play in the half court. J- getting Javian McCollum in from Siena in that backcourt and getting John Hewley in from Pittsburgh. Both of them have been dynamite for Oklahoma this year. They are ranked eighth in the country on Ken Palm and defense. They absolutely suffocate teams. They are going to slow this down and make Carolina play in the half court. That's why I think Carolina trying to force some turnovers and get transition buckets are going to be paramount and try to hit some outside shots because Again, Oklahoma just does not allow it. Teams are shooting 25.6% from the outside against uh, Oklahoma, and they just suffocate you. I think Oklahoma slows this game down, makes them play in the half court, and squeaks one out. I've got Oklahoma on the road and a big win here. Shout out to Peyton, by the way, for picking them 14th in the Big 12 coming yeah. into the season. I didn't think about that until just now, and I pulled it up just to confirm it. And by the way, he spent more time on it than anyone because that just shows you how lucrative this really is and how hard it actually is to get right because he well, spent thought- so much time on the Big 12. I talked them about below West Virginia and UCF? Uh, well, here you go. I'll read it to you. Iowa State, fair, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, BYU, UCF, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma is 8 through 14 in that order. To, to be fair, though, when he did this preseason – we thought West Virginia was going to be mostly whole at the time. Yeah, yeah. They'd only lost Trey Mitchell, right? We thought that they were going to be much better. And he just looked at Oklahoma. I don't think he expected JV McCollum and John Hewley and all yeah. these guys to be this good. So 100%. in fairness, it's hard. It's really hard. You, you'll find out next year. <laughs> you'll find out next year. The hardest conference in college basketball to, 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 to predict. To do I a had magazine, Maryland third in the Big hard. Ten. I know how hard this is. I get them <laughs> yeah. wrong all the time. Yeah, it, it's really hard doing this magazine. Um, one other I want to touch on early season before we start to get out of here. I mean, early week. Up in Madison Square Garden, you've got Baylor and Duke in a, in a big game. And MSG, Baylor coming off their first loss. Duke. Trying to get another marquee win here really actually be the first uh, if you want to count Michigan State. But Duke, I don't think has been as good as we all thought they were. We've talked about this. I'm I want to see finally um, Tyrus Proctor break out of his shell. They need somebody else to help Filipowski out tremendously. What do you guys think? Do you think Baylor bounces back with their incredible three point shooting, or is this Duke's finally first? official big win of the year taking away Michigan State. Be short and sweet. Uh Michigan State laid out the game plan on how to beat Baylor and Duke is not that 
way athletic athletically. That's just unfortunately going to be their downfall in this. And that's the, they laid out the perfect blueprint for him. However, I think Duke is more talented. And I think that's how close this game will be. Despite what I just said and contradicted myself with, I think Duke wins. Close game. I think uh, guard, very fun guard matchup between Ray J. Dennis and Jeremy Roach. That's going to be so much fun. That I'm very excited for this game. I'm not very confident in a pick. I definitely have to do more research on that front. But I will say, if Baylor wins this game, Vez Missy will si- skyrocket up NBA draft boards. Uh, he would have to put on a clinic against Filipowski. If he wins this game, you'll know the name. If they win this game, you'll know the name of Vez Missy if you don't already. <laughs> Yeah, I, I loved him when I seen him first game of the year against Auburn. Super athletic. Super athletic. Um, I'm going Baylor. I, I just it's not often Scott Drew teams, especially when he has good teams lose back to back. This will be another big test for him. But Ray J. Dennis is playing at an all big twelve caliber right now coming in. And I, I think their guards win this game again because I just don't trust Duke guards right now. Don't mean I won't trust them in February, but right now, just something's not clicking. Either Roach plays a good game and Proctor doesn't, or Proctor plays a good game and Roach and McCain. Do- they just haven't gotten on the same page to help Phil Pasky. I think it's still going to take some time. But, boy, they're starting to get to that spot where they need a couple more key wins, kind of like we talked about Gonzaga. There's, they're getting to that spot now. If they lose this, that's four losses already. They're going to need a marquee win soon to help the resume. But I'm going Baylor. I love um, the ACC because the the, 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 the top of the ACC, they can win a lot of those games, at, yeah. I think, at least. That's, that's right fair. That's fair. Let's start round this out. Let's go to shout-outs. I got mine. I'll just go real quick. I got three of them. Fletcher Lord, we already talked about him, 27 points. He was tremendous. Michigan State, they needed a win. They got a win in convincing fashion. We'll see if this sparks Sparty to move forward and play like the team we thought they were preseason. And then Georgia. Five in a row wins now. Moves to seven and three. Silas Demery, shout him out. He was the Ken Palm MVP in last night's game. Nice. They are, they're still my sleeper in the SEC. They're getting better slowly under the radar. Keep an eye out on Georgia in SEC play. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but damn it, I still believe them in as a sleeper to really disrupt some teams in that conference this year. High point, by the way, that's a hell of a win. They had them on the ropes, and that's a team that I think a lot of people aren't going to watch until the Big South tournament begins. But high point, they had them on the ropes, and high point's a really good team. And I, that Georgia win is impressive, despite what people would look at on the schedule and go, Georgia high point, they probably should have beat them by 20. High point's one of the best teams in, in the low major college basketball. Um, I'll be quick. I have two shout-outs, uh, DeRosa. The Mountain West, and I want to quote the Mountain West tweeting them themselves, say with the little, you know, the strong arm emoji because they are a really good <laughs> conference. One of my favorite. I've told you all that for many years. Um, going into the weekend, so I guess Friday at 1.30 is when they tweeted this. They're 20-5 and five against the Pac-12, Big East, and West Coast Conference. Uh, individually, the record is, so 20-5. and five. Individually, the record is 5-0 and oh against the Pac-12, 13-4 against the West Coast Conference, and 2-1 and one against the Big East. Um, and then one close to home here for me, um, A&T and NC Central, one of the coolest rivalries in the country, even though it's one of the ones that most people don't even know exists. Um, They play each other every year, despite not being in the same conference anymore. And uh, Stephen A. Smith came out uh, to that game because he's a teammate of uh, Monty Ross for uh, NCA&T's coach. Uh, On the other side, the real shout-out I'm actually giving, uh, NC Central's coach Lavelle Moten, uh, one of the best coaches in small major, mid-major, whatever you want to call it, HBCU college basketball, um, got his 252nd win which is most as the winningest all-time head coach in NC Central history. He's got an unbelievable program there. I got a chance to see him coach this year uh, in the Creek Classic against Campbell, and he's an incredible coach, incredible man, and shout-out to Lavelle Moten for the achievement. 
Yep, uh, I got a lot of shout outs, but first, uh, do you know who the biggie, first of all, shout out Lavelle Moten, uh, <laughs> great Twitter follow, by the way. Uh, oh, he's, oh, he's hilarious. Shout out to yeah. his son for his 12th birthday today, too. Well. Yeah, yeah, and such a good dude, too, just looking at all the stuff he posts, very oh, excellent Twitter follow, shout out to him, really like Coach Moten, but uh, do you know who the biggie's team was that beat the Mountain West? I'm confused. Oh, I have no idea, to be honest with you. I, I'm going off just the Mountain West tweeted that, so they're 2-1 and one uh, no. against him, so. I, I don't. I, oh, keep damn. talking, I and I'll look it up real quick. That the Butler Bulldogs curb Oh, oh that's right. Let's not that's forget right. about that. They keep the doors right. off. You, so. you, you, you had me in the first half. You set me up bad there. <laughs> you set us up, you motherfucker. That was really good. That was good. I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, I got many shout-outs. One, uh, I don't know if you saw me put my hands up and turn around for a bit. Uh, Cooper Cup scored a touchdown on my commanders and was left no one within 20 yards of him. So shout-out to our defense. Uh, but more on college basketball. Uh, number one, Wesley Cardit Jr. Cardit Jr. I mean, had a week. 30 at Northwestern and a win for his Chicago State uh, Cougars. Excellent game. 30 points against one of the better defenses in the country. Comes back against Valpo. 28 points. Huge road games for Chicago State. That's a program that is looking a lot better than they did in the last few years. So shout out to them and Wesley Cardit leading the way. Uh, another one, UCSB. Since they've gotten A.J. Mitchell back, 6-1, and one, only lost at New Mexico, a New Mexico team that is getting healthy. A.J. Mitchell in particular, he is averaging 21.7 points per game. But not only that, as this loads up, here we go. 53% from the field, 89% from the free throw line, 43% from three. He's nearing 50-40-90 territory. If you don't know the name A.J. Mitchell, you should soon. That dude is a beast. This UCSB team is still really good. Still is advertised in the preseason when they have those guys healthy. And lastly, a team that I don't think has gotten enough national love that I did end up tweeting about earlier in the week. George Mason, top 70 in the net. Tony Skin came in, brought in a ton of transfers. Excellent recruiter. It is no coincidence to me that George Mason goes up and has a really good transfer portal, and the program he leaves in Maryland tanks in the transfer portal. I do not think that's a Tony Skin, one of the best DMV recruiters out there. The dude knows how to get talent, and in particular, big guard Keyshawn Hall goes from averaging 5.4 UNLV to 14.6 points a game. And nine and a half rebounds as a six foot seven guard, big guard game, bully ball inside. George Mason's a team. You guys talking about St. Joe's? That is an excellent team right there. George Mason's going to be up there in the A10 too. George, that's a really yeah. good George Mason team. So shout out yeah. to them. Who, whoever gets out of the A10, whether it's Dayton, whether it's um, they might have to win. Yeah, I just oh, whether it's Dayton, St. Joe's, or George Mason, I lost my thought there for a second. One of those teams are upset-worthy potential mm -hmm. come March. When the tournament gets revealed, depending on the matchups, one of those three could absolutely steal a game in the NCAA tournament. With that being said, we had quite a few people following along with us live on the Twitter and the Facebook. We appreciate the hell out of all you guys. The audio version will just come out here later. But wrapping up episode 169 for Trav, for DeRosa, and for everybody here at the ECB family, we're coming up on the Christmas season. It's only a week away. We hope you guys are getting ready and enjoying time with the people that mean the most to you. But when we come back on Thursday, we're going to talk about Kentucky-Louisville. It's not the rivalry it once was. Louisville wins still, outright. Yeah, it's still a big rivalry in these parts and nationally by namesake. But we got a lot coming up the rest of the week leading into Christmas. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for following along. Drop a like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we will catch you on Thursday's edition for episode 170. We hope you guys enjoyed this, and we'll catch you down the road. F cancer.